0: Welcome to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go and newcomers to the series who are ready to jump in. I'm Marie Vigourou.
1: And I'm Drew Shulman. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural Season 3, Episode 3 Bad Day at Black Rock. Let's get this show on the road.
0: This episode is pretty special because we were able to watch it with our Bobby-level patrons, and it was honestly such a blast.
1: Oh my god, that was so much fun.
0: (laughs) We're able to talk about a bunch of different things that we wouldn't necessarily be talking about on the podcast. So yeah, so that that was a lot of fun, frankly.
1: And you know, if maybe you wanted to attend one of these live shows and have a lot of fun with us, and you know, wanted to know how to do that for next month... Yeah, you can always just go to you know patreon.com slash carrying wayward and sign up. We wouldn't stop you.
0: No, we wouldn't stop you. You know what else we wouldn't stop you from doing? Would
1: it be a recap of this episode?
0: (laughs) Yes, it would be a recap of this episode. Would you like to count me down? Three, two, one,
1: go. The brothers are arguing about, you know, Sam's whole chilling with a demon thing and that stuff, which immediately gets put aside and ignored for the rest of the episode, while we then decide that we are going to look into one of John's like, I guess, just storage lockers he happened to have that is still being paid for and maintained somehow, but whatever, that was broken into. Uh, it's full of boxes that are locked with magical items in them, and one has been stolen, and we find out it's a lucky rabbit's foot that is so lucky until you lose it, then it, you die, and this chick Bella is after it, and she is a total badass, and they eventually get it back from her, and they force her to, get, to use it, so she, that's unlucky, so they have to dispel it to save everybody. Besides that, it's mostly just hijinks and funniness throughout the entire episode. Nothing else really happens. Time.
0: I have to say that I genuinely thought you were going to say that Bella's a babe.
1: (laughs) She is a very conventionally attractive woman and good for her.
0: Certainly. Shall we move on to the long game? Yes. All right. So the very first thing that I will mention is that we finally find out Ruby's name.
1: (laughs) I just need to say for the listeners, I legitimately in our notes put a little tag here saying, did we really? I know that we know her name because of the credits, but like, she wasn't in this episode. How would it have come up? You're telling me that they just say her name while having that argument at the beginning that basically gets disregarded for the rest of the episode.
0: That's exactly what happens.
1: Way to play your strong female characters.
0: I mean, that's supernatural for you. A little bit later in the episode, Dean mentions that John has secrets or had secrets, actually. We have more to discover on the way. So this is not his last secret.
1: I am sure even by the end of the series we'll be saying this. Like, this is not a shocker, but it is good to at least bake it into the world.
0: Now, when they are in the storage locker, Sam mentioned curse boxes that are meant to keep really powerful magic in them. Well, we're going to see an extreme form of that box in season 14. And it's also notable that it was Sam who recognized that they were magic boxes.
1: I know that we've always had a lot of allusion to the concept of Sam being a little more in tune with magic. Like, I know there was a lot of excitement when he put together his first little seance. I'm now intrigued for that larger version of a magic box, because those are, like, lore-wise, something I am aware of. Many different series, franchise, and stories do revolve around magic being contained. So I'm very intrigued to see where they go with that.
0: They will go deep. I had mentioned a little while ago that we would start seeing an in-universe chain restaurant called Biggerson's, and here we are. Uh, we're introduced to it in this episode. We also meet Bella, like you said in your recap, and we get a few iconic lines. So, we get Bobby's first idiot. <laughs> I love that one. We get Sam's, I lost my shoe.
1: <laughs> for those who weren't there for the live show, I nearly cried. I was laughing so hard at that.
0: And we get Dean's, I'm Batman.
1: Which is just so good. (laughs) So good.
0: Yeah, we also get Dean's first. This was apparently an improvised son of a bitch.
1: Yeah, that was a very interesting conversation that we got to have. And you're right. like When he does say that line, Sam's face is like immediate laughter as we turn away from the camera.
0: It was Jared that we saw. It wasn't Sam. Right? Like, it wasn't, it, it, it was the actor. The actor shined through, I guess, <laughs> in this moment. We also get Bella's We're All Going to Hell, which isn't quite iconic necessarily, but it's certainly foreshadowing.
1: Now, I love how that's supposed to sound, like, ominous and foreshadowing-y. There is no part of me that did not expect the boys and the story to go to hell more times.
0: Uh well, we'll see that very soon. Oh, no. <laughs> Before we jump into story time, I just want to say that, yes, Gordon is in this episode, but we're not going to be talking about him all that much because there's another Gordon episode coming up where we'll really be focusing on him quite a bit.
1: To the story time.
0: To the story time. This episode, we meet the boys in the Impala in the middle of an argument. This is where they find out Ruby's name. And Sam says that Ruby can help Dean out of his deal. And Dean says that she was lying, obviously. So Drew, who do you think is right? Sam or Dean?
1: (laughs) I knew you were going to ask this. Okay. (laughs) I need to do this on three levels, so I'll do it quickly. There's a term often used in Dungeons & Dragons and other tabletop games, which is called metagaming. And that is where you give an answer based on information that you might not necessarily are supposed to have. Maybe because you have encountered this monster before in another campaign, so you know about the tricks or the tr- or what could go wrong. So on a meta level, I say we trust Ruby, because I feel like the way that she's been written to the story and the way we've sort of built Sam and Dean's relationship, there is a good chance that she is not lying, or even if she is, what she can offer is still valid. More in-universe, I am very much with Dean of like, this just seems like a bad idea, like this is never going to work. But also that just makes me believe more that it's probably Dean being wrong because when Dean is too confident, he's usually his own downfall. So I'm completely torn on this, but I guess two thirds of me says Sam.
0: Let's keep tallying that because we will get the answer to that at the end of season four. Oh my God, (laughs) don't wait that
1: long. I'm going to go crazy. Okay, I will. I'll make it. So
0: before next year, you'll know if Ruby is a good or a bad character.
1: Oh, only that long.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, people who were watching it had to wait two full years in order to know.
1: True. Very valid. I'm very lucky for the, albeit slow, but faster pace I get to watch the set.
0: When the boys are going through the stuff in the storage, Sam finds his soccer trophy and Dean finds his first sawed-off shotgun, right? And I want to talk about the blocking in this scene and meaning how the image is composed, because it's really important here. Sam is facing one way, and Dean is facing opposite him, and they have their backs turned to each other. And that very simple image composition is really meant to further what's being said in the scene. Dean has fond memories that are all about Sam's protection, and Sam has fond memories of things that he did on his own. We're seeing here that their goals and even like the way that they lived their lives as kids were complete opposite. And not only do we hear it, but we also see it with their backs turned to each other.
1: I'm so glad you brought this up because it really was a well shot scene. I'd even go as far as say how Dean's memories, yes, are of protecting Sam, but they are based in the life he is currently living now, the hunter's life. Whereas Sam's are memories of a time before or hopefully a time after hunting. I actually love that. And the weird thing, too, is I guess Dean, I mean, as much as Dean was four when the whole thing took place, at least Dean had a bit of life before everything. Whereas Sam was kind of doing it covertly while also living a hunter's life, even if he was still a child that was kind of being sheltered.
0: I mean, sheltered is a big word. Sheltered is doing a lot of work here. But I understand. I understand what you're saying.
1: Sheltered in the way that John was like, go to soccer practice while I go kill this banshee, probably. With Dean. With Dean.
0: Yes, sheltered compared to Dean, but certainly not sheltered compared to quote-unquote regular kids out there. This whole discussion is about Sam being so happy about a generic trophy, and Dean being so happy about a sawed-off shotgun that he made in the sixth grade. Like, you can tell right away that there's something completely off about their childhood.
1: And I think that's a very important point here, because I even realized it while we were watching. He specifies in sixth grade. Now, I know a lot of kids and even myself, I've used that as kind of a barometer for age because it's sort of easier to like tie things to. You need to have been in school to have that metric, which means he was attending classes up until at least the sixth grade.
0: He's got a GED, we find out later. So, I mean, he did complete a general education degree, which is great. So he did attend school throughout. Just we know that it's spotty because John was taking them places and places and places. So, yes, I I also thought that that was interesting because he uses school as a metric, which he doesn't usually.
1: I think it's the fact that because he doesn't, it makes it seem more out of place, which means he was able to tie this memory to a time where he was in school.
0: To a time where things were more normal, perhaps.
1: Which then feels like making a sawed-off shotgun with the intent of hunting was normalized at that age for him, which I think is even more dangerous.
0: Well, this is the power of watching and rewatching, where you start picking up things and you start getting to know the characters and you watch with hindsight, a little bit more hindsight. So I think that that's what's happening now. Speaking of re-watching, when I rewatched this episode this time around, I was really surprised at how quickly Dean embraced the initial good luck of the rabbit's foot. You know, especially given how unwilling he was to concede that maybe Ruby was some form of a lucky break. He's refusing to believe that some things are opportunities, like Ruby getting him out of the deal, But he has no trouble rolling with the luck from the rabbit's foot. He's having Sam scratch off lottery tickets. He's loving the attention at Biggerson's. He's loving the free meal. He's planning to take Sam to Vegas to, quote, pull a little Rain Man. He's even telling Sam to go for it with the pretty waitress. Dean is on board with this.
1: Well, I think for just someone who's had to fight for so much for so long that there's I guess that wishful thinking that one day something will come along and just save you. And here is something that is literally doing that. We, we've seen Dean be so skeptical. And even in times where like the evidence kind of points one way and he ends up being right. He's still very critical of evidence. And here, while is it is a very home alone level of hijinks, it was enough for Dean to go, this is good. This thing is good. Let's have good together.
0: It feels like a big win for him at the mm-hmm. time, because secretly
1: he's just so hopeful. He just wants good.
0: <laughs> no, <laughs> Drew.
1: <laughs> I'm so mean to you, and i not even mean to. Sometimes that was totally unintentional, but I realize how hard that sounds.
0: Well, obviously, Sam loses the foot, and his luck ends up turning.
1: Gee, shocker, nobody called that during the live show twice before it happened. <coughs> Myself.
0: And Dean is the one to tell Bobby. And I, I, I just, I love Bobby's reaction because he sounds like a parent who's trying to wrangle some toddlers who aren't listening to him. And you just know that he's not angry. He's just disappointed.
1: Which is so much worse. Of course it's worse. <laughs> but it just, it's so wholesome though.
0: It, it is. It, he's parenting them.
1: Exactly. It's like that moment where, like, I can't think of a precise example right now. Honestly, like, I think the closest I can come to is a few podcasts that do some storytelling where a character does something and the result is another character saying, like, literally, you hear the line, like, I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed. And it's that moment where that character realizes the relationship they have to that other character because, like, you don't get disappointed in someone unless you like, have expectations of them, which means you care about them, which means I now realize you care about me, but in this moment I have upset you and disappointed you, is so much worse than just some person you know being like, I'm pissed off at you for this dumb thing, because anger passes. Disappointment, you have to work to recover that.
0: I think he's disappointed in this moment, and I'm using disappointed very loosely, because he never says that he's disappointed, but he he tells Dean a few moments ago that the luck always turns, people always lose it, and, and Dean is like, no, 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 it'll be fine, don't worry, like, we've got this. And then Sam loses the foot, obviously. And it's Bobby's face in that moment where he's like, he lost the foot?
1: It feels less like he's surprised it happened, he's more surprised it happened so soon. <laughs>
0: There you go. Hence the disappointment. I think we found it. <laughs> there we
1: go. We made it.
0: <laughs> They're just a bunch of idiots.
1: Oh, a bunch of idiots.
0: Can we talk about Bella for a second?
1: We certainly can.
0: What did you think of her?
1: This is one of those character types that doesn't show up enough in modern media, and that is a character who understands the rules of the world. But rather than falling into the predefined categories, like right now, everyone we found in this show is either unaware of the supernatural or becomes aware of it. Generally, the ones we meet who become aware of it turn into hunters or they have their one off encounter and they go back to being normal everyday civilians, unfortunately cursed with some extra knowledge. Bella is the first time we've met somebody who fully accepts this fact about the world and goes, cool, how can I fit into it in a way that suits me? And yes, the initial definition of her seems to be negative. Like, she is collecting relics and selling them to the highest bidder. How is that any different from, like, someone who buys and sells art? Like, it just so happens that we live in a world where, like, we know there's magical items. So she goes, cool, I'll become the specialist in these. She's not outright taking the rabbit's foot and using it to kill somebody or hurt somebody. She goes, someone wants to pay me for it. I can acquire it. I have skills. And I have the knowledge.
0: She is truly using capitalism to the best that she can. She's what we would call today a girl boss or, you know, a boss babe or whatever it is that you want to call her. Like you said, she's using the the rules of the world to her advantage. And in reality, this is what we are all trying to do.
1: If tomorrow we found out wizards were real and everything we learned from Harry Potter was relevant all of a sudden, I would total change of careers. I would find so many ways to take my muggle skills to a wizarding world and, like, balance things and, like, take advantage of the system to, like, work both ends of it. Like, I I would need to sit down and think this through a lot more, which, note to self, we're going to discuss
0: this later when we drink. Well, that was a fun detour. (laughs) What I find so interesting about Bella is the effect that she has on Dean. Because you can tell that Dean hates her values. Truly, he does. He has contempt for her because she's a thief and she uses her knowledge of the supernatural for profit, like you described earlier. And she doesn't do that to save people. She does it truly for profit. But at the same time, she's also really enjoying the back and forth with Dean. And I think that Dean also likes it. And that he hates that he likes it, but that he likes it. And it sort of brings me back to Eric Kripke's words that Dean would be attracted to someone who could beat him up. And I sort of feel like Bella might fall in that category.
1: Oh, Bella most definitely could beat up Dean.
0: Even if not physically necessarily, like definitely she could win in like an arms race to getting to something supernatural.
1: Oh, I would even argue that I think she could do both. I think she'd have that advantage of like playing the girl card, which Dean would fall for. As masculine as Dean portrays himself, he is still a little bit of a I can't hit a girl type. Unless really push comes to shove, as we saw with uh, the tricksters. Even if he didn't fall for it, I think she would still probably kick his ass just because she looks like she probably could.
0: I absolutely agree with you. She definitely, She definitely could actually beat him up, I think. But what's interesting about Bella is that her cunning is also mental. She's just so brilliant and we're starting to see it. We're going to get more of Bella, not as much as we would like, but we are definitely going to get more of Bella where we'll get to explore her character a little bit more.
1: I get the vibe from the show and even from our community that she's not going to stick around too long, unfortunately, nor do many female characters, it seems so far. So, you know what? I'll take what I can get.
0: Moving on to Critical Time.
1: So, who brought us this... I'm going to say masterpiece of an episode.
0: The person who wrote this masterpiece of an episode, as you called it, is Ben Edlund, who is one of my favorite writers for Supernatural, obviously. So far, what we've seen of him is Simon said, Nightshifter, and Hollywood Babylon. And the director is Robert Singer, who has been directing episodes for quite some time.
1: And is potentially the namesake for Bobby, or is that just a weird coincidence?
0: Absolutely, he's the namesake for Bobby, and there will be a line about that later. I'm glad that you noticed that, actually. Thanks for noticing. We had some interesting lore this episode, Drew. Would you like to tell us a little bit about it?
1: The Legend of a Lucky Rabbit's Foot. So, this legend extends across the globe with stories from Europe, China, Africa, and both North and South America. It kind of goes everywhere. Oftentimes, and like the episode did mention, the rabbit has to be killed under particular circumstances or in a certain method. There's even an example where the rabbit has to be killed by a cross-eyed man. They really do vary. Friday the 13th, on a rainy day, on a rainy Friday. The list goes on. I guess the obvious question then is, why a rabbit? One reason is Celtic folklore, where they believe the rabbit spent so much time underground that it could communicate with the gods and spirits. Alternatively, in African culture, it is believed because the rabbit was tied to the trickster gods, it was often the animal it took the form of that the rabbit was then considered to be clever and elusive, so carrying a piece of it with you would bring you, you'd be clever yourself and elusive yourself, which is what was considered lucky. While the tales may vary wildly, it's still better than the original tradition that came before the rabbit's foot, mostly in the Americas and Europe, of pickling the hanged man's left hand after he was hung. So I will count myself lucky that when I grew up and I went to a vending machine and got a cute little fake rabbit's foot, it was a rabbit's foot and not some dude's hand.
0: When you talked about the hand, the thing that came to my mind was that scene in Harry Potter in Borgens and Burke where Harry is hiding in the closet and Draco and his father are looking at stuff. And Draco finds like the hand of whatever. I can't remember exactly. And it's a hand. It's a human hand.
1: It's still a symbol that is seen usually depicted in like art as being a, a closed fisted hand with a candle attached to it. And it's seen to be a sign of protection or luck and was more popular until the rabbit's foot kind of became the mainstay of a body, a dismemberment for good luck. And what critiques and what can you bring us about the episode from your end?
0: I'd like to just take a moment to get a bit of a meta observation in here. We know that narratively, Sam and Dean are the main characters of this story, more specifically Sam in the first five seasons anyway. And we know that everything that happens on Supernatural is really meant to further Sam and Dean's journey too. So in this episode, when Sam gets bad luck from the rabbit's foot, we know that it's for, for developing his own story. Specifically, it's meant to introduce Bella to the show. And th- but this is why I find the humor of Kubrick's character so good. Because it's meta humor. He thinks that he's the main character of the story. <laughs> and I'm so... Like, this might sound really pedantic, but, like, I think that that's just so funny. Listen, there's a little bit of schadenfreude there where, like, I'm I'm laughing at something bad that's happening to him. But, like, I am laughing at his own embarrassment because it's so funny that he thinks he's the main character of this story when truly it's Sam's. It's Sam who's the main character. He mistakes Sam's bad luck for his own good luck. He thinks that God is helping him. And I have to tell you, sorry, Kubrick, but, like, God's not helping you here.
1: You were just an NPC in a bigger game.
0: This might sound very, very strange to people, but I find this so hilarious.
1: No, it's an amazing observation. Like, I look back at that scene where he has Sam tied to the chair, and he's explaining, like, how he found him and how God led him there. <laughs> like, we, the audience, and Sam can actually come in that moment of, like, no, you idiot, this was just... I was cursed. I have bad luck, so bad things are happening Of course to you me. found
0: me. <laughs> this is about me. This is not about you. <laughs> so for the personal reflection and call to action this week, would you like to get us started?
1: I think it's a pretty self-explanatory one, but one that I, to this day, still hold very true, and that is that there is no lucky rabbit's foot in life. People have good luck charms. I'm not going to dissuade those things, but nothing is going to magically come along and change the way your life is. Even if you were to give me the example of like, oh, people who are like, you know, born into money. Yeah, they have the money, but they never get the skills. They never get to grow. They never get to develop. They never get to truly exist. So much of life is the connections we make to people. You know, you need to go out there and make those connections with people. You can't just rely on something falling into your lap at all times. And I just remind myself that, That's how I got to where I am today. It's the people you meet, the relationships you build, and the connections you make.
0: So your call to action is is to connect to people, to make the effort to connect to people, because that doesn't happen by itself.
1: And reflect on the connections I have made and how they've brought me where I am. And not to say that every connection needs to be an equivalent exchange with a value attached to it, but that every connection will inevitably make you better in some way.
0: I certainly live my life thinking that. Every interaction, every experience that you have is there to teach you a lesson, and that until you've learned that lesson, the same type of person or the same type of situation will come around.
1: And for yourself this week?
0: One thing that became really apparent to me in this episode is that the rabbit's foot was basically a means for characters to survive. It wasn't healthy and it wasn't sustainable. Everybody can agree on that. And it always became really dangerous for them in the long run. But in the moment, it allowed Wayne, Sam, and then Dean to survive. And it made me think of the coping mechanisms that we deem, quote-unquote, unhealthy, but that actually keep people alive in the moment, like drugs, like alcohol, like sex, and even like food. And my personal call to action is to remember that people are dealing with different kinds of addictions, and they're just... They're just trying to survive. They're just trying to get through the day.
1: I think that's such an amazingly deep and respectful thing to, to remind our listeners about and ourselves. You know, it's easy to look at somebody and like wonder how they got to where they are. But you weren't there and you don't know what they've had to deal with. And, you know, what might be to you uh, an, an addiction they need to kick to them? It's another day alive.
0: I mean we'll talk about addiction a little bit more on the show so there's going to be a lot of opportunities for us to demystify addiction and this is this is something that like is not directly in my field of study but it is related so one there's a member of my thesis committee who works predominantly with people who are addicted to opioids and so this is something that is important to me something to remember because it's easy to judge people who are are dealing with addiction but at the end of the day those coping mechanisms are just one way to ease an emotional type of suffering
1: shall we see what our community has to share with us today
0: of course this week we have a voicemail from kara hi caring wayward
2: my name is kara i wanted to thank you for making this podcast and Especially for making it a safe place and putting trigger warnings at the beginning of episodes. um, It means the world to me. So, thank you. I wanted to talk about the way Denis is so self-sacrificent and the way it relates to his childhood. And to John. That mother... To John! (laughs) The greatest father of all times. So... John treated Dean like a resource. So if John needed him to do something, Dean did that. John used Dean to fill the planks, to do everything he couldn't do because of the chase after the demon that killed his wife. Like taking care of Sam. He just, he abandoned abandoned that mission, taking care of his children, raising his children and Sam to... Chase after the demon that killed his wife. And Dean needed to fill the blank, to do John's job. And he did. And he protected Sam. But that's what he did. He protected Sam. He didn't protect himself. I mean, obviously he protected himself, but Sam was put first because Sam was younger. And Sam needed that protection. And Dean was a resource that was used to protect Sam. And that's what he learned his entire childhood. Now, I am NOT saying that Sam didn't deserve that protection, he is a child. He deserved that. By all means, Sam deserves that. But when you go through life being told to protect someone else, you start internalizing that hmm, well maybe that someone else is more important. And I think that's what happened to Dean. He just was like, oh, yeah, well, Sam needs that protection. And we see that he values Sam's life over anything. And I can't blame him as an older sister myself. I understand that so much. But he also feels like his life matters less because uh, he values himself because he's able to help other people. He thinks his only value, his only good trait is helping other people, is saving other people. And that's wrong. (laughs) And that is something I can very much relate to. And that's wrong. That's not something that should happen. And that's not something any of you should feel. Please, if you feel that way, your life matters more than taking care of other people's. You, you deserve to be happy, you deserve to feel good, you deserve to take care of yourself. On another personal note, I have been sort of responsible for a lot of LGBTQ plus youth since I was 13. I am now 14. I joined a lot of LGBTQ plus youth uh, groups to feel more accepted and to feel more with other people. And a lot of people there, uh, they have absolutely no one to accept them and no one to act as their big siblings that they can actually talk to. So I function as that. I will hear about their dates. I will tell them to drink water or go to sleep or everything. And I love them very, very much. And... Some of them are in extreme situations, Uh, some of them, I, I talk to them on a regular basis, and some of them are in bad situations at home, bad situations at school, very, it's a lot to hear sometimes. And since I talk with them a lot, sometimes I start feeling like my problems, they don't matter at all, because, well, what are my problems compared to that? And I couldn't, I can't help but think that maybe Dean is feeling the same way because, and maybe Sam too, because they are in a situation where they see people in extreme situations and experiencing a lot of crap all the time, every single day. And maybe, maybe they start thinking that, well, that problem, that emotional problem, or that minor inconvenience in my life can be delayed because other people need help i need to help them right now because i am not hurting as bad so my problems matter less right now i'll push them and then i'll forget about them because that's what we do again not healthy if you're experiencing that go see help please you deserve more also dean was bisexual and i can't help but think that John wasn't very accepting of him, and well, when you grow up like that, I grew up in a very accepting family. But again, I am in groups with a lot of LGBTQ plus kids, and I see the way that it can affect someone um, when you tell them that what they are is wrong, and I, c- I really can't help but think that Dean thinks he deserves less because he is quote unquote wrong and not the way he's supposed to be because he's queer. I really can't imagine a situation where he'll be just like, oh yeah, um I I am I deserve good things even though I I am queer and I'm quote unquote wrong and not the way I'm supposed to be. I really believe that it affected him way more than we see in the show so yeah yeah this combination of being bisexual in an unaccepting environment uh being responsible for uh, someone else your entire life and being put in second place this entire time and you know seeing a, a lot of people in dangerous situations and putting your problems aside to help them caused Dean to be like, oh yeah, my life matters less. Um let's save other people. Yay, let's get killed. Which is not good. I am really sorry for the long um voicemail. Have a nice day. You're very lovely and your podcast is awesome.
0: Kara, thank you so much for your voicemail. It was so lovely to listen to it. You are so young and so wise and so kind and so brave to be putting yourself out there this way. Clearly your experience with LGBT groups and listening to other people's stories, it's, it's helping you make sense of Supernatural and particularly of Dean's story in a way that I certainly would not have been able to do at your age. You're absolutely right when you say that Sam was a child and he deserved protection. And so was Dean. He deserved that protection as well because he was also a child. And I really loved your observation about how he thinks that his only value is in his usefulness to other people. And thank you for reminding us that that's not true. We are worth more than what we can bring to others. And with that, I will give you a little call to action or suggest a call to action for yourself. Maybe you're already doing it, but just a little reminder, I suppose. I hope that you take care of yourself with the same standard that you care for others.
1: So well said. Thank you. I feel like that is the most important takeaway, is that we need to take care of ourselves. We need to treat ourselves right. It's so good to go out and help others it's something I've always done as much as I can and hearing someone as young as yourself doing this just like it it fills my heart because it makes me feel like the world has good people in it and that's I think such an amazing thing but it does come and as you said you need to take care of yourself you have to remember that you are valid and that you matter and hearing hearing someone so young with such a great An optimistic outlook on the world. Like, yes, you see the dark spots. You see the people who need help. And rather than saying, oh, the world's a bad place, you go. How can I make it better? How can I help? And how can I still take care of myself amongst all that? And proud of you. I'm proud to have a listener like you listen to our podcast. I I'm on the verge of tearing up right now, so I'm going to shut up soon. But I just want to thank you for that voicemail and your observations, and your comments, and just
0: thank you. Shall we move to our crossroads deal?
1: Sure, I probably won't cry there.
0: Would you like me to start so that you can uh, take a breath here?
1: (laughs) Sure, go ahead.
0: It's a short one, though, so you won't have much time for breathing. But I would just take Dean's, that's the closest you've ever come to being a boy, And replace it with, that's the closest you've ever come to being a normal kid.
1: Oh, such a simple fix.
0: Such a simple fix. And it gives a depth to it. And by normal kid, what I mean is more like a kid with a childhood that's not like what John gave him. I'm obviously not talking about anything else than that, but I feel like this would give it a depth that it, that line doesn't have. And It would remove the negative connotation that this existing line does have.
1: It does so much to fix the sexist angle of this comment and then goes a step further and actually makes it a more meaningful comment in the universe. You've literally replaced two words and you've solved two problems in the entire episode. Brilliant.
0: Sometimes changing a very tiny part of a sentence makes all the difference. And this is really one of them because words have meaning. And in this case, not only do you have a sexist, but it's also homophobic. Like it's, it's just, it's not, it's not great. So two words done.
1: I love it. Gold star.
0: (laughs) Thank you. What about you?
1: I didn't really have one going into this and kind of my usual, let's see what kind of sparks up in conversation. And this one hit me real early on, before we started recording. Let Ruby introduce herself.
0: (laughs) You know what? Yes. Let the girl say
1: her own name. Like, you can't even let the female character introduce herself. She has to be a side note of a conversation the men have.
0: Can I blow your mind? Oh, do it. Bella doesn't introduce herself either. I mean, I'm not too sure why they haven't introduced her before this. Like, it's funny. I think I mentioned this when we were doing the live watch, but in the very first episode of the season, in my notes, her name was in there because I was so sure that she had introduced herself until I rewatched the episode and realized, "Mm, no, another unnamed woman in Supernatural.
1: It feels to me the way they drop her name in this episode to the point where I literally had to question whether or not it happened. And this wasn't you putting her name in, this, in the episode early again for us. It feels to me and like I don't like giving excuses to the writing team. But this really feels like a there was a cut scene where she did introduce herself and they just didn't tie the two together properly. Like there was a longer scene with her and Sam It got cut down for time because it wasn't as important to the episode, which we already discussed was a problem. And they just didn't think to do anything about it. So they just said like, oh, yeah, we we all know her
0: name now. If we're being realistic, that's probably what happened. I don't know for sure. Like, I don't know. I don't have any traces of that. If anybody has any actual information about it, any written trail of it, please let us know. It feels like something that the show would do. So if we're being very charitable, that's probably what happened.
1: If we're being honest, they probably realized the mistake and said, just say her name next
0: episode. <laughs> there you go, exactly. <laughs>
1: Misogynistic writing room. You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a Supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano, hosted by Marie Viguhu and myself, Drew Shulman. Thank you to our Bunker patrons, Katira and Michelle, for their generous support.
0: This week, we'd like to thank Tara for her message. Help us keep the conversation going. You can send us a voice recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube using at Carrying and leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts.
1: And don't forget to join our Patreon for perks and extra content. Our December live event will be a live watch of a very supernatural Christmas on December 2nd. You can use the link in all of our social media bios or go directly to patreon.com carryingwayward. And until next week.
0: Carry on our wayward friends. Language is important. Words have meanings. Words have meanings. Meanings? Oh my God, what is wrong with me today?